Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the Church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the God It Seems crowd. This is Jason Broughton. Today we have with us Jack Gilbert. He is the pastor of St. John's Lutheran Church in Racine, Wisconsin. Welcome back, Jack. Thank you very much. Glad to be back. Uh, it's been a a bit since I saw, I guess I was up there at St. Paul's at Ramirez's place uh, back in end of September. So got to see you then. So it was good. But then before that, Bugenhagen. Yeah. Always good to get together. Of for, course. Yes. For the best. Do you, have, do you have free admission to that yet? Uh, I think so. <laughs> I feel like we give free admission to the host of the Godestines crowd for life, <laughs> actually. I got to check the paperwork. It's in the files somewhere. <laughs> Uh, this is like your favorite thing to do, isn't it? To give free admission yeah, to a free so there's conference. Theories, there's theories on why Ramirez and Uphoff and I, where we find our great joy with that conference. And for me, it's uh, making up reasons for why anybody and his brother, assuming he's an LCMS pastor, gets free admission to that conference. For life. For life. <laughs> Good. Well, I, I'm glad I earned it. <laughs> oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> And you're a former keynote speaker, so you've got it like, we should start paying you to come. <laughs> Somehow I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, we'll check the budget too. <laughs> uh, so w- we are taking up the gospel reading for the fourth Sunday in Advent. It comes from John chapter 1, verses 19 to 28. Uh, I'll go ahead and read that in the English Standard Version, and then we'll chat about it. Very good. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. All right, in terms of context, just in the Gospel of John, uh, you know, we're still in chapter one, just after the prologue, and just before John points his bony finger at Jesus, uh, exclaiming that he's the <laughs> right. Lamb of God uh, that takes away the sin of the world. Um, w- what's what's going on here, uh, just in terms of? Um, the priests and Levites, why they're questioning him. Is there anything from the context that that kind of helps elucidate what um, what's going on in this particular passage? Sure. I mean, obviously the prologue is a beautiful kind of throwback to 
uh, the creation account, except here we're getting the incarnation of our Lord. Uh, the way that John structures it and writes it is um, really just always worth a read. And it is uh, the, uh, the the text for Christmas Day. Um, so the prologue doesn't really give us much with regard to context to the rest of uh, what was going on in John and Jesus' day. But what I find here in this testimony of John, what the text that we're examining, what we really get is a prologue to what Jesus is going to face. It's kind of a preview. Uh, John is clearly drawing the attention of the religious authorities, even though he's on the outskirts, right? Mm -hmm. uh, he's in Bethany across the Jordan, as our final verse shows us. But they're sending guys out there because they want to know, who does this bony finger belong to? Yeah. Who is this kind of strange, arguably raving preacher, baptizing guy who's doing this stuff? We don't know who he is. We want to know who he is. And as we see as the text goes forward, and of course, as the gospel narrative goes forward, they're not exactly welcoming of John, and by no means are they welcoming of Jesus, whom John points to. Yeah. So I, I always found this curious that, you know, they keep pressuring him to to answer, you know, they're asking him who he is, and are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? You know, he answered those no, yeah. those no and then th they ask him, what do you say about yourself? And even there, he's just quoting the Bible. He's not actually answering for yeah. himself. Um, I, what do you yeah. make of that? Well, what we see in, in these verses, I, I kind of, as you examine the whole of the text, there's a theme, there's a connection between um, identity and authority, and then that testimony that John gives. So when, when it starts off, of course, a very simple question, who are you? Uh, I remember, Jason, when I actually first met you, I, I knew your name for quite a while. Um, but I, I remember meeting you. We were at the, uh, the 2016 Synod Convention. We were both serving as delegates. Mm -hmm. And you happened to be around. I recognized you, and I just kind of uh, introduced myself. I didn't have to ask you who you were, but I did kind of tell you who I was because I don't think you did know who I was, you know? <laughs> yeah. And how did I know who you were? I, I knew your name. I had heard you on uh, various podcasts, I'm sure. Um, and also, I recognized your face from a picture. But that is only a small part of your identity, of any person's identity. Um, naming a face, that's kind of just the very start of things. Mm -hmm. And you've got other, other aspects, you know, like just physical features. For you, of course, you got the top three, tall, dark, and handsome. Uh, this can't be denied, but also a person's voice, even their vocabulary, their speech patterns, their accent. Um, then we get into things like the line of work that they're in, at least in our day and age, mm -hmm. um, their hobbies, their interests, uh, the general disposition of, of how, how someone carries himself. These all work into a person's identity. The, the questioners uh, are asking John, who are you? At the very surface, they're wondering, what's your identity? But as the text goes forward, we see they're also kind of wondering, who said you can do these things, right? Mm -hmm. And how do you know how to do these things? Yeah. And why should we care about this testimony that you offer? They're definitely zooming in 
on the actions that John is engaged in. You know, this this baptism that he brings mm-hmm. and this this call to repentance, make straight the way of the Lord. They want to know what that is. They want to know the authority. And then, of course, should we listen to this guy? Mm-hmm. So the 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 question is uh, more about um about his authority w- why are you doing these things than it is about who you are like they're asking for his call papers sure they are yeah <laughs> right like why can you do this stuff but it, the identity thing is like i said it's it's the very first thing and interestingly john leads off with who he is not they don't mm-hmm. ask him, are you the Christ? He just says, I'm not the Christ, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's the one who brings that in. Uh, and then they offer those follow-up questions. Okay, yeah. you're not the Christ. We didn't ask. We just asked you who you are. Since you've given us one you know, person that you're not, well, what about this? Are you Elijah, right? Mm-hmm. Because obviously Elijah has a connection with the Christ, with the promised coming Messiah, which I'm sure we'll get into as we continue this discussion. Um, but when they ask him, okay, are you Elijah? Then he's like, yeah, no, I'm not him. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's worth getting into why they ask this at all. Why are mm-hmm. they bringing Elijah into this? What's the the significance behind that particular figure from the Old Testament, that prophet of God? Yeah, well, yeah. Even our Lord, though, calls him Elijah. <laughs> he is the, li- right. the Elijah we, to come. <laughs> right. So this stuff gets pretty complicated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in Matthew's gospel, he straight up says that, right? Right. Yeah. So so w- w- what's behind that, that he doesn't see it, that John the Baptist doesn't see it, but our Lord does. And that's the first thing that they go to. What then? If you're not the Christ, what then? Are you Elijah? Um, yeah. Why Elijah? I mean, because I would guess because Elijah didn't die and also because of the prophecy of Malachi. I mean, this is, these are the last couple verses of the old Testament where Elijah is, you know, referenced, um, Malachi writes, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Um, this is, this is a big deal. And this is the last really word that we've gotten formally, officially, uh, that's written down, inspired for us today. And it's what kind of, it is what closes the canon of the old Testament. Mm -hmm. The Pharisees, the scribes, they knew the old Testament. You know, as you mentioned earlier, John never really says too much about himself without using the words of others. He's simply quoting Isaiah when he says who he finally is. Mm-hmm. They knew that, you know, they didn't have chapter and verse like we do, but they knew he was quoting Isaiah and they're thinking, who is this guy? He's bringing up Christ, but he says he's not the Christ. Okay. Is he Elijah? Is he getting us ready for the Christ? Yeah. And that is of course the spirit of John, uh, in which he's sent as, uh, as we see in Luke also in Luke chapter one, where John comes in that spirit and power of Elijah although he is not the same man, the physical man as Elijah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so he comes in the spirit and the power of Elijah and he is the one that is 
in summary, the the one who's bringing about what Malachi is talking about. He's making the way for the yeah. Lord. Yeah. That great and terrible yeah, day. Making it straight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, why does he lead with the, when, when they say, who are you? Why does he lead with his first, his confession in the negative? I am not the Christ. Were they, were, were there rumors going around, you think, uh, that, that, hey, there's this crazy guy out in the wilderness doing this thing? Uh, I'm sure there were plenty of rumors. Come on, you serve as a pastor in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. <laughs> there's, there's plenty of you know misunderstandings, speculation. Oh, this, that, or the other about this pastor or that one. I mean, just within one's own parish, there is. Hey, what's going on? What did he say? What did he do? John was garnering far more attention than you know even celebrities of our day are getting. I, you know, many celebrities people don't even know their names anymore. Um, John was out doing things that clearly had to do with Old Testament, as we know as Old Testament prophecies, he was doing things that, that did point to the coming Messiah. And he was, well, he was known to an extent enough that these messengers, these Pharisees, they go to find out with clarity who he is. And so he doesn't want there to be that misunderstanding. He doesn't want to be inappropriately, wrongfully identified as the Christ. So they're all waiting for the Christ. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, we're going to keep waiting. Don't Mm -hmm. look at me and say, oh, here he is. Let's watch and see what he does. John makes it clear. I play a role in this, but you're not waiting for me. You're waiting for the guy that I'm getting you ready for. Mm -hmm. So is there a significance then to the fact that the Jews later we hear that's the actually the Pharisees that the Pharisees sent priests and Levites. I mean, this is the tribe. Is it not that J- John the Baptist comes from his father, Zacharias is a priest. Um, yeah. Is there, is there significance to sending, uh, I guess kind of his, his own to him um, and his own not recognizing it? kind of like a uh, yeah, mirror I mean, of what you had in the prologue. That prologue. Yeah, exactly. I, I'd say it definitely is. I mean, the first time we get the name John is from the angel Gabriel explaining to John's father what's going to happen. And he's in there in the in the most holy place, right? And he can't believe what he's hearing, what he's seeing, even to the point where he doesn't get to talk anymore <laughs> until John is born. So that's part of John's identity, his father, his father's role as a priest. And they're probably aware of what happened with Zechariah. Mm-hmm. And while it's highly unlikely that Zechariah is still living at this time, um, they're thinking, well, let's send some of his dad's guys. And, and he's going to recognize even what they're dressed in. Mm-hmm. And let's let him know we're looking at you. We want to know who you are. We think we know a little bit. We might know. Maybe they knew his connection with Zechariah. Maybe they didn't. But he definitely would have recognized who they were. And uh, perhaps it was kind of a little a little check-in. What mm-hmm. you what you up to? What's going on? Tell us what exactly gives you the right to be doing these things and saying these things. Mm-hmm. So is there a sense, you think, that their question, who are you, could be like, who do you think you are? 
No, uh, yeah, I think I think there <laughs> definitely is. Okay, you know, it's you know, that that re- when I moved into the seminary, uh, I was at I was at the St. Louis Seminary. Graduated in '09, and I um, when I moved in, everything that I owned, you know, I had recently graduated from college. I owned very little. It all fit in a four door sedan and in the trunk. And I was moving into uh, a dorm that was pretty close to the chapel. And if you're familiar with the the campus there, the the chapel, there's this wide, wide sidewalk. And the there isn't much of a curb. And the dorm that I was moving into was directly across from the chapel. And so my brother was there to help. He had recently moved to St. Louis also. And I was like, hey, man, you want to help me unload my stuff? Yeah, sure. He shows up and we're kind of getting sick of carrying things a distance. And we look and we see this extra wide sidewalk. And uh, he's not a student there. He's he, he was living in St. Louis working as a teacher. But he says, hey, move your car right there. I say, hey, OK, that's that'll make things easier. So I move my car around and I'm parked on this sidewalk right outside the chapel doors. And, you know, we get a, a, a trip or two in. And then we get a little visit from the, the security guys on the gator. And they say, whoa, what? You can't be here. Why are you here? And so instead of, you know, anything other than I just said what actually gave me the authority to be there. I said, well, my brother said I could park here. <laughs> you want to know what that meant to them? Practically nothing. <laughs> and then I moved my car. So I definitely think part of their question is, dude, what are you doing? And why are you doing it? And what makes you think that you can? Because they're the authority. They're the they're the religious authorities. I mean, these are the people in charge of the religious life of Jerusalem and the surrounding area. John's in their territory. They want to get a story. They want to get an idea of, of who he is. Yeah, what they're dealing with here. So he's not Elijah. And then they, are you the prophet? Now, I, this refers to the Deuteronomy 18. 15 passage, right? Yes. So what's the background to that? Um, obviously, the Lord uses uh, a great many prophets throughout what we call the, you know, the old covenant era, the Old Testament. And uh, of the greatest prophets, we've got Moses. I mean, how many miracles did he work? How many interactions, direct interactions did he have with God? He, like Elijah, has uh, bizarre um, aspects to his death, not really his death, but his burial. No one knew where he was buried. God alone got himself buried, Moses. So, uh, and of course he serves as a type of Christ, an Old Testament foreshadowing of the coming Messiah. So when, when they ask, you know, are you the prophet? And in our English translation, we get that with a capital P. Oftentimes this is, this is taken to be, okay, are you like Moses or something, if you're not Elijah? So, and not just Moses, but the, the one promise to Moses, right? That a prophet yes. like me shall arise from among right. your brothers. Right. And then, and that's the kind of language that, that John does use after he says or describes really who he is. And then that's that's what he says about Jesus. Okay. So he's not Elijah. He's not the prophet promised uh, through Moses to to arise. Uh, so then, what do you say about yourself? And he quotes Isaiah. Yeah. And then are they befuddled? Like we we're we're not. What are what's the expression on their faces? <laughs> like if you're describing 
um, Peterson likes to do this gig where he's like, you know, you're the director and you're giving, uh, you're, you're giving uh, directions to, you know, the various players. Well, how are you describing the people who to, to, to react to all of this? How are you describing the priests and Levites to react? What, are they confused? Are they angry? Is there, is it a mixed bag there? Uh, what are they thinking? What's yeah. going through their head? Well, honestly, the reason I brought up that story about my time, my beginning time on campus at, at uh, the seminaries, I think that their reaction was similar to those student security guards that asked me, what is your car doing here? Mm-hmm. When I say, well, my brother said I can, they're like, okay, nothing that you say actually matters right now. You are in violation of what we have determined is the good order of this campus. You're going to move your car. They don't dwell much on John's answer. Instead, they say, okay, this is who you say you are. You're the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. You're telling us Isaiah has has foretold this. Well, then why are you baptizing? Why are you doing these things? I think they just, they say, okay, you are, you've got your understanding of who you are, or at least you're asserting to be, you know, whom Isaiah promised. Now we want to get beyond identity because maybe they care about who he is as a person. But again, like we were talking about at the beginning, they're more interested, I would argue, in the authority behind his words and his actions. And that's mm-hmm. what they move to um, beyond his his self-identification. Yeah. So what are we missing then in terms of uh, the connection between baptism and the coming of Christ, Elijah, and the prophet? What what is that that uh, that uh, linchpin that hinge that connects those two? Because they obviously see that baptizing, or at least what John is doing, baptizing for mm-hmm. the forgiveness of sins, for uh, unto right. repentance, for the forgiveness of sins, is related to the coming of the Messiah, uh, the coming of the, the the promised Elijah, and and the prophet. What is that link? You know, I, I, um, of course, baptism is a sacrament instituted by Christ, you know, combining a, an earthly element with the promise of forgiveness um, and the word of God. And it is a, it is, I mean, circumcision was the, the foreshadowing of, of what we call holy baptism today. Um, it's been argued, I think, well, that John's baptism is, a little preview of Jesus baptism, not the same. Um, but just like circumcision anticipated. So also John's baptism, it connects forgiveness. Um, but Jesus of course is, is the fulfillment of Holy baptism is the, 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 the power in it. And so Eli- in, in Elijah's day, and even still in John's day, circumcision was the way by which, uh, Israelite believing boys were brought into the covenant people. And it is of note, you know, Elijah, we talked earlier, he, he doesn't physically die. He's taken into heaven by a whirlwind. Um, are you aware what the Elijah chair is? You mean keeping a chair open for Elijah at your table? Yeah. 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 But not just at the table, but it's during the rite of circumcision. Mm. And so this is, this is something that um, is, a, is still a part of the Jewish uh, religion today. And it is this, I would argue, a, a connection between Elijah and um, 
John and really the baptism that Jesus finally brings, which we still gather around today, um, this is where we recognize God is using these physical ways uh, to bring about our actual salvation, the, uh, an actual mm-hmm. real connection with the Christ. Yeah. I mean, I like, so if we're talking about the prophet and Moses, obviously you have the, the foreshadowing of baptism, uh, you know, bringing the people out of Egypt into the sure. wilderness through the Red Sea. I mean, do you think like Elijah, do you think this is the dowsing of the altar in the prophets of Baal? That, that Sure, yeah. Fill the trench. Let's yeah. do this thing. <laughs> that that here we see the power of God through water or the, the floating axe head or the yeah. th- these incidents of God's power th- and authority demonstrated through these um, these prophets, these men, Elijah and Moses, that when they see John come on the scene and do some miraculous thing, namely forgive sins through water, yeah, uh, that yeah. they're saying, "Hey, now, uh, th- this is the sign of this is the sign of the Messiah coming on." Do you think that's yeah kind of behind it too? Absolutely. The uh, that. The the showdown at Mount Carmel is quite an amazing thing. I also like how he straight up mocks them. I mean, he's <laughs> he's making fun of their god. He's he's making all kind of insinuations. And then when he when Elijah finally steps up and says, "We're gonna, I'm gonna demonstrate to you the power of God," he puts every possible obstacle in the way of his sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And what happens? All of that water is consumed, and immediately, right as right as he offers up his prayer. And yes, also that uh, the saving and the destroying power of water is something that we see both in the Old and the New Testaments. And of course, it's culmination in holy baptism where um, the the old Adam is drowned and the new man is is there to rise. And this is how, uh, and this is of course for all people, it's, it's beyond circumcision. This is for everyone. And this is something that joins us to the victory that the one whom John is sent to point to has won Christ's death and resurrection. And these, these old Testament shadows, I mean, the light is, is shining on them. And John is the one who's really saying, okay, this is a big deal. This is what, this is my task. I play a role in readying the people living in this time for the, the fulfillment of these promises. And yeah, I, I agree with you. There's definitely an intentional use of water um, and no doubt, especially connecting it with the forgiveness of sins, which is a big deal and something that the Pharisees find to be a major obstacle in their interactions with Jesus because only God can forgive sins. When when Jesus talks like that and John being the first one that we see uh, talking like that, it draws their attention. It gets them to take the trip to go out there and to figure out what's happening here. What mm-hmm. does this mean? What does this signif- signify? And what role perhaps would they play? They wanted to be where they were. They wanted to have that that hold of authority over the religious aspects of their day. And mm-hmm. they held it. They enjoyed it for quite a while. Yeah. But John is one of the first who's kind of poking at that. I would argue John is the first who's poking at that. And they don't really like what John's doing. And they really don't like what Jesus does. Yeah. So uh, Elisha is said to have 
um, what taken up the mantle and power of Elijah, yeah. right? Um, and then yeah. he has that whole episode with Naaman cleansing him of his leprosy mm-hmm. uh, by washing in in the Jordan. It, is there any sense in which um, uh, Elisha gets kind of credit for that in the Old Testament because because he's Elisha, Elisha has taken up the power and mantle of of Elijah as the prophet. Well, he gets that double portion, man. Come on, yeah. that's worth something. <laughs> that's right. So maybe the, I mean, maybe all of that connection, uh, uh, Elisha, um, Moses, and the Red Sea, Elisha with Naaman, Elijah, and the prophets of Baal. All of these things are wrapped up, and they're like, here is the 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 messianic age all coming together in what John is doing. Absolutely, and and they want to know what's going on here. So his response is like. I baptize with water, but among you yeah. stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. Are we to understand that Jesus is right there? Or is he uh, speaking kind of more broadly? He's I think it in, is more Yeah, so I mean Jesus is six months younger than John, right? Mm-hmm. Um and he's clearly alive and walking around in that day. Um, we don't, uh, I don't know. I, sorry, I should have looked at, at one of those, uh, Ramirez style Denoyer Geppert maps to see how far Bethany across from the Jordan is from Nazareth. Um, but what we're recognizing is I would, I mean, the text, you could take it either way that Jesus is actually there watching this, which mm-hmm. would certainly be interesting. Um, but it also could be this general among you, among us, among our group. Yeah. Uh, he's here. Yeah. And it's a big deal. There is a, I don't know if you're familiar with this. There's a, an English textual variant here though, uh, that perhaps you'll appreciate. Uh, it says the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy on, on to untie. But if, if, uh, if I recall correctly, Jason, it could be translated as, uh, the strap of whose Alan Edmonds laceless shoe. <laughs> I am not worthy to unbuckle. <laughs> Maybe. Um, yeah, that, this, this one is corporately sponsored by that shoe company, right? Uh, well, I would Our love- Our shoe company of choice. Yeah, I would <laughs> I would love to get sponsored by Ellen Edmonds, especially if they- They're not far from Racine. They're up in Port Washington. I can put in a good word for you. Please do. Uh, we'd be happy to. It is it is the shoe of choice for, for pastors, um, I think. They should be yeah. at least. Uh, they're made here in America and- uh, um, That's right. And they're- well, one comfortable, well-made, and uh, I, you can send them in and they'll make them look like new. It's true. You showed me yours. It was amazing. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> I, I do think that it's a, a general, he's here, he is from among our people, of course, as long promised. And uh, when he's here, as we know, what John, one of John's other famous sound bites, he must increase, I must decrease. Mm-hmm. He's already recognizing, setting the stage for that. Uh, demonstration of humility, which of course ties well in with Advent. You know, here we're at Advent four, but at the very beginning, we've got Jesus uh, humbly riding into Jerusalem, that great city on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Um, He is not there uh, to declare war. He is there uh, really to lay down his life for all those who are at Mm -hmm. war with sin. Mm -hmm. And John, just like John is, is one of the, is the first kind of 
uh, prodding at the power structure, the religious power structure. Uh, he's the first to be engaged really by the Pharisees and the scribes here. Um, of course, Jesus takes it all the more. He takes, he takes much more uh, of a beating from them. Um, and so John shows us, this is what happens when you go up against the, this group, this power structure. Um, and, and that's, that's what we see Jesus do where John fades away and even dies. Um, mm -hmm. Jesus goes forward and, um, he, he goes all the way to the cross. Yeah. Uh, the reason I asked, uh, about whether he was there, cause it, it kind of sounds like it, in verse 29, it just says the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. Yeah. So, yeah, I know. I, <laughs> that's one of the frustrating things with this, the text cutting us off. It's like this whole thing, it's getting us ready for that next sentence, which isn't included in the text that we'll preach on, on Advent 4. <laughs> and it should be. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I, I'm not going to claim any kind of authority to set what, what's in the lectionary. I'm yeah. glad it's there. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Um, uh, any other things uh, context or dealing with the, the, the text or translation uh, that we haven't really dealt with? The There's nothing that sticks out to me. Um, I think that the, the parallels that we're recognizing, of course, just that conversation, um, the significance of Elijah is definitely something that, you know, if in, in sermon preparation would be a, a helpful, helpful context uh, for the people to be reminded, I mean, it is kind of strange if you're not very familiar with with the 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 background of Elijah. Why would they think he's this guy from a long time ago? I think most Christians are aware of of the circumstances with Elijah's departure from this life, um, but probably worth at least a mention. Um, and also, this prophet um, is 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 significant, mm -hmm. and just the role of the prophets. They're there to point to ready God's people. And then John really standing in between uh, the old covenant and the new. He mm -hmm. is um, described rightly as the last of the old covenant era prophets. Yeah. And he is getting them ready, even with this baptism that he brings for the, the new covenant of word and sacrament, wherein mm -hmm. Christ comes to us physically and brings us uh, what, was long promised. And we gather around that week in and week out throughout the church here. Yeah. And um, one question sticks out in verse 23, the make straight the way of the Lord is, yeah. is he making straight the way for the Lord to travel on? Or is he making straight the way to the Lord for us to like, is he clearing the path, making it straight so that we have access to him? Or is it kind of a both and? Yeah. I mean, uh, so for at, for our midweek Advent one here at St. John's, uh, just using the the Lutheran Missal, we so we had uh, what was it Matthew uh, three one to six, where you get this description of John. He's wearing camel's hair. He's eating locusts and wild honey. Then the next week we've got you know gr no one is greater among those born of women. No one is greater than John the Baptist. And with that, and especially with with midweek one we get his clear call as Matthew records it, that word repent, you know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is make straight the way of the Lord. Um, I, I, I see this as a, as a call to repentance as well. That is a, a, an overlying message that John, a theme that John the Baptist brings. He's saying, get ready, repent, 
turn from your sin. Uh, you know, this is this is a call to uh, to bring or uh, better, I suppose, to welcome drastic change into your life because among you, right, stands one that you don't know. But man, I can't even stoop down and unstrap his sandal. God is present. God mm-hmm. is working. Okay. And John says, he sent me to do this. Technically, God's people have been waiting, you know, since the day of Isaiah, what, five, 600 years for this preview. John's saying, I'm the one, but don't focus on me. Look to the one that I'm here to point to. Make straight that way of the Lord and recognize he's coming and look at and watch him and and listen to him and follow him. Mm-hmm. And those who did listen to John's message, well, they were baptized for the remission of sins. Yeah. He's the he's the best man and it would be adulterous for John to point to himself and not lead the bride to the bridegroom. Yeah, even though again, he was drawing crowds, um <laughs> he he certainly could have gotten away with it for a little while, but that of course, you know, he's following the father's the father's will. He's following he's he's filling the role that God gave him and he wasn't seeking earthly glory um and nor did he receive it, really. I mean, he ended up dying in prison for pointing out the sin of adultery. <laughs> mhm. So, um in terms of like doctrinal things, what would we want to focus on doctrine and and then in refutation of false doctrine, is there anything that we'd want to focus on here thematically? I mean, obviously baptism is, is a significant part of John's role. I mean, that's how we know him, John the Baptist. Um, and it is significant. There's different views on baptism, of course. And there's folks out there that will talk about what he says here. I baptize with water. They'll talk about water baptism. And then they'll talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They'll claim these are two different things. Um, they'll claim that baptism is is a work of man. It is something that we do to demonstrate our, our commitment, uh, perhaps even arguing our making straight the way of the Lord, right? Um, but we would reject this because uh, the baptism that Jesus brings is by no means uh, a separation between water and the Spirit. They are both clearly joined and united that when he uses that Greek word baptizo, he's saying, okay, make disciples of all nations. How do you do it? You baptize them. You wash them with water in the name of the father, son, and Holy spirit. Mm -hmm. So doctrinally speaking, our understanding of uh, the sacraments in general, holy baptism, specifically uh, a rejection of baptism as a, some kind of sign of uh, one's commitment to following Jesus, that water baptism concept. I'd say there's certainly room for that um, in this text. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, oh, and we can also refute uh, reincarnation, right? Because he's not Elijah. <laughs> he's John. <laughs> true, true. Um, uh, what about, so they translate testimony, the martyria, uh, uh, and sometimes yeah, it's like a witness. A witness. Uh, is there something there that we'd want to build on in terms of bearing witness, making testimony, um, uh, who's been authorized to do this, and in what manner? Is that a is is it a is it an office kind of slash evangelism thing? Yeah, I mean, what better what better man to serve as this witness um, 
this testimony bearer to Jesus being the Christ than the first one who acknowledged him as such. You know, they're both in their mother's wombs and John is leaping as Elizabeth, his mother is filled with the Holy Spirit and he's recognizing that he is in the presence of the promised Christ, the Messiah. Mm. Um, that's, that's the first testimony that we get about Jesus being who Jesus is. And uh, so, yeah, I'd, I'd say that's, that's plays a really important part of, again, we've been talking John's identity, the authority to do what he's doing. And then what is his testimony? His testimony is this guy is coming. He is among us. And I'm going to let, I'm going to get out of the way while he goes and does um, what ultimately these, these men that he's speaking to will reject, will despise and will do everything they can, you know, to contain or to, to put away. Mm-hmm. Now, what about like correction and training in righteousness? Uh, w- what what themes for preaching do we find with 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 regard to that um sure i mean it's that the the idea of just kind of welcoming or um acknowledging the need for taking john's testimony into our hearts mm-hmm. applying it to our lives recognizing that jesus is our lord is to be our lord and that uh we should live lives that look different than the world around us. Uh, certainly there were people who went out to see John, uh, not just the this group from the Pharisees, um, who wanted to hear him. There were those who accepted his message. There were those who rejected it, just like with Jesus. And those people are among us still today. And in fact, that person lives within each one of us. Um, we would rather live like the world. We would rather reject the... Uh, arguably strange way that John lived or the difficult message that he proclaimed. It's easier to just do what I'm doing, be my own Lord, decide what is right or wrong. And John, he doesn't allow for this. He doesn't make room for that. He says, no, make way, make room for the Lord to be the one in charge of your life. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, what sort of comfort then? What's the consolation that this text offers? Well, uh, I mean, again, John's John's pointing to the Christ and the Christ is the one who who lays down his life for, for all of us. I mean, it's early in John's gospel and we don't get that last verse, but <laughs> he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There is no greater comfort than the fact that this work is is completed outside of us that we have guidance and direction the people in, in John's day received it from him. And of course, from, you know, the scriptures, we receive it from the whole of Holy scripture. We receive it from um, just as we, as we go to worship week after week and participate in the divine service, we have the certainty that John is pointing to the one who takes away our sin, that perfect sacrifice, the, the fulfillment of all Uh, of what the Old Testament points to. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he is the one that John uh, identifies explicitly. And he would have us look to and say, Amen. Uh, This is where I need to to get my direction. This is what should be guiding my life as I go forward, living as a follower of Christ, as a Christian. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the word there is um, Iro. It's it's in the present tense, active um, participle, like who is taking away uh, the sin sure. of the world, and it 
it's to lift up from the ground and to bury and carry it away. Um, so there's kind of a nice, um, uh, uh, you know, when he says, you know, take up your cross or when he yeah. takes up the cross, so the, you, you've got or, kind of that nice little image there. And his conversation, you know, in chapter three with Nicodemus, you know, the son of man must be lifted up, right? Mm-hmm. Just like the serpent in the wilderness. Yeah. That's how he lifts our sins from us. Yeah. So, okay. So what kind of, what kind of themes for preaching are you thinking about here? What, like, if you had to stand in the pulpit today, what kind of, what would you want to focus on? What would you want the people to walk away with? Yeah. I, again, those, the, the concept of identity, of course, you're going to tie that in, you know, with what we were talking about, the doctrinal aspects of, of holy baptism. You know, our baptismal identity should be the most important part of who we are. It should drive how we interact with the people around us, how we view ourselves. And with it does come an authority, right? To, to give witness, to give testimony like John does, obviously not in the same ways, um, but to point to, hey, I know who I am in Christ, and I want you to know who Christ is for you and who you, whom you can be in Christ as well, you know, if you're outside of the faith. And similarly, you know, John the Baptist is known as, as one who says, make straight the way of the Lord, uh, a call to repentance. Christians have the responsibility to point out the sins of other believers as well. We're to do it lovingly, you know, and we're to do it in a way that is to hopefully, as Jesus says in Matthew 18, gain back the brother. Um, but part of, I, I mean, if you want to go with an identity theme for this sermon, which I would say is fitting, uh, point to the identity of the hearers as baptized children of God and point to the importance of not looking the other way with our own sin and with the sins of those around us, our fellow believers or simply those with whom we live in this world, uh, it's it's a it is a way to give that witness to our faith. Again, needs to be done lovingly, and it needs to point to Christ, just as John did, as the solution to our sin. Yeah. So so this year, Advent four falls on Christmas Eve, um, and so yeah, Christmas Eve day. I think we're calling it. Yeah, Christmas <laughs> Eve day. So uh, I. We we do know there's a rubric to to, to um, observe the vigil of Easter, which is the the Christmas Eve day texts given in LSB and and other places. Uh-huh. Um, but you know some opt to stick with Advent four readings. Um, does that change the fact that it lands on Christmas Eve day? Does that change the force or kind of what you'd want to focus on? In, in this sermon. Yeah, I, I have I have worked a bit on this sermon and I, I do kind of point that out. I mean, it, I think it would be silly not to. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of, one of the things that I'm working on now, just kind of toying with it is, hey, we're all here in this place and we're here this morning. So at St. John's, we normally hold two services, uh, an early and a late on December 24th, we won't be doing that. We're holding just one service in, uh, you know, at nine o'clock. And then we're holding our Christmas Eve services at four and 11 PM. Um, but for that morning service, as I've said, I, I, I have been kind of looking things over. I've typed a little bit of it out because um, I'm still an old school manuscript guy. Sorry, that's the way my brain is wired. Um, and I have in there for now this, hey, we're all here in this place, in this space where most of us are going to be back 
I'm guessing most anyone who's there at nine will probably be back at four or 11. But when we're there at four, there's going to be a whole lot more people. And we're going to be there with people who don't usually think this is an important place to be. Even though they're members of the church, they don't come week after week after week. And uh, so I've, I've kind of got this idea of talking about just that space and the, the role that it plays, our sanctuary, you know, the church itself, and how it's here that we are joined to what John is readying the people of his day to receive. Um, and it is here that our identity, that the chief part, like I was saying, of our identity is crafted. You know, many of the members uh, at St. John's where I serve were baptized here. Uh, it's a it's a very old congregation, like many in our synod, and some of them have been lifelong members, and we're talking decades and decades of life. Mm-hmm. This is where we receive with certainty a place in God's family, and there is a place reserved for each of us. You know, there's there's people that joke about that's my pew, that's your pew, whatever. Um, on a day when we have one service instead of two, my pew and your pew can get mixed up because you might come to late. <laughs> or uh, or early, and and there can be some shifting there, and of course at the Christmas Eve services, like with any congregation, you're getting a larger crowd. You're also getting visitors, you know, maybe visitors, family members from out of town, or people who simply want to attend a church service on Christmas. And so that idea of you have a place here now. This same place is going to be used in a similar but in a different way later tonight, and that's all readying us, this place here in this church readies us really for the place in eternity that comes to us through the one whom John points to, uh, whose life um, is is given up for us and for all people. Yeah, that's a a really powerful thing. And and how uh, even more so it would be, you know, to point out that, you know, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. And he's not yeah. worthy to untie the straps yeah. of Jesus's. But in in baptism, you are counted worthy to be the brother of Jesus Christ, a member of God's own family, and uh, and to bear uh, the righteousness of Christ. So you know, it, in that very thing, Jesus Himself has said, "Move up higher." That's right. Yeah. I love it. And and a place is reserved for us at the marriage feast of the Lamb and his kingdom, which shall have no end. Uh, a beautiful promise. And again, that connection with the language that John uses there in verse 29, that Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Good stuff, Jack. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, well, blessings on uh, your observance of Advent and uh, Christmas tide. And uh, Merry Christmas to you. Thank you, my friend, and the same to you.